0: Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come join us as we walk through God's Word together. So I told you two things. One, you first need to understand the definition of redemptive business one more time, and I'll probably do it two more times or at least in the message Restorative work for the glory of God and for the good of his people, evidenced by activity pointing to Christ. Second thing, there is this misnomer, particularly in the New Testament church, that we do not have to keep the Old Testament law. Now, before you say he about to hit some heretical theology, I need you to hear me out. The Old Testament saints didn't have to keep the law to be saved, and we don't have to keep the law to be saved. That's never changed. So when people say you don't have to keep the law, I think what they are trying to mean is you don't need to keep the law to be saved. But guess what? They didn't either. What ends up unfortunately happening is people then connect to go, well, you don't have to keep the Old Testament law. But Jesus says all of the law and the commandments hang on two commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. And so when we look at a text like Leviticus 19, now we're supposed to do this. <laughs> God commands us to do this. Now, don't get it twisted. When we talk about the ceremonial law, all of the sacrifices that need to be made, we don't need to do that because that's wrapped up in Christ, right? But when we talk about the day-to-day law, remember the 613 precepts. When we talk to day-to-day mandatory law, no, this is like the way that a Christian is supposed to live in redemptive business. If you're going to be a call-connected, committed leader in your city, church, community, or corporate space, and you're going to engage in restorative work that is for the glory of God and for the good of the people, act Uh, Evidence by activity pointing to Christ, then then you're going to have to do this. Let me give you an easier way to remember what all of this says in verses 1 through 18. Can I do that? Three things that I want to share with you this morning. If we're going to engage in redemptive business, and again, churches, communities, cities, corporate spaces, first and foremost, there must be intentional leadership. I'm, I'm one of those people who likes words and likes definition of words because it just helps me uh, be able to take the principle and then practice it, right? And so people take, use the word leadership all the time. A mentor of mine gave me this definition of leadership is drawing out of people what God has put in them to get them to a set destination. Drawing out of people what God put in them to get them to a set destination. That's what leadership is. And so then I qualified that with the, words, with the word intentional. There must be intentional leadership. What does that mean? That means there must be stewardship at every single level of your life. If we're going to talk about Christ's supremacy over the next several weeks, if we're going to talk about Christ's supremacy, that's supremacy in everything. That's supremacy in your job. It's not like you can all of a sudden get to work and go, well, I know I'm a Christian, but like I can set that to the side and do business. No, 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 no. No, Christ wants to be supreme in your occupation and career. Christ wants to be supreme in your schooling. An education. Christ wants to be supreme in the way that you're a dad or a mom, a husband or a wife. He wants to be supreme in how you're a brother or a sister. He wants to be supreme in how you take care of your vehicle and what you do when you get gas. Both physically and in your car. Now you might think I'm joking, right? No, I'm serious. The reason that I'm saying this is there are some things that we consider to be like, that ain't, that ain't God ain't got nothing to do with that. No, he has, he has something to do with everything. And so if we're going to engage in redemptive business, there's no such thing as God doesn't want to be involved in this space. God doesn't care anything about. There's no such thing. That said, intentional leadership we see all through this text, but the qualifier is be holy Because I, the Lord your God, am holy. There are people who look at the book of Leviticus, I'm going to qualify one more thing. There are people who look at the book of Leviticus and they go, yeah, but that's Old Testament law. You don't have to listen to that anymore. I just want you to know if you just contextually, you read chapter 18, he says, don't be like Egypt where you came from. Don't be like the Canaanites where you're going. I want you to be separate, different, holy. Now, what does that look like when we live in America that doesn't tell the truth of her own history? It's not lost on me that I look around this room and see a lot of people who look like me and have a history a lot like mine. What does it mean to engage in redemptive business in a world where people do not do business in a redemptive way? And let me just be honest, sometimes us Christians are the worst at it. We think in terms of stewardship as I need to get a deal. If I ask my friend to do this, I can probably get it cheaper because my friend is a professional photographer, but my friend needs to hook me up. Intentional leadership is what we're talking about. Intentional leadership. Um, Be holy for I am holy, verse 2. I'm just going to skip down to verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your land. Do not strip your vineyard bare, nor gather its fallen grapes. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a house that was poor. And so growing up in a house that was poor, you know, we did things like you eat all the food on your plate. You take care of everything. You know, if we were to go outside, you know, when I was very little, we had, um, my, my parents would grow vegetables. My granddaddy was a sharecropper. And so, we were very, again, you just, you, just, you just scoop up everything. I have a garden in my house right now. You scoop up as much as you can. But that was because we were not looking through the lens of redemptive gardening, right? We were looking to eat and take care of ourselves, which is not what this text is. Now, we had an intent but we weren't necessarily doing intentional leadership for the sake of redemptive business. When you read through the scriptures, the scriptures say some stuff that's like, wait, why would anybody do that? Like, hey, when you go, if you just read the Bible, hey, when you go into that new land, don't even actually reap anything for a year or two. Don't touch anything. This text says, hey, when you are reaping a harvest, don't take everything. Don't you know you have to be intentional to do that? That's not something you do by accident. Oh, oh my fault, we grabbed everything. It's like right. Like if you're if you're picking the apple tree and you start taking the apple and the apple falls, you got one of two options last. Fall, uh, a friend of mine who uh, played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and now is now retired, bought this farm. And on their farm, they have some apple trees. And so we went to pick apples. And there were apples everywhere on the ground, right? And so we picking them off the tree. As you can imagine, what I started doing is climbing up and, and just shaking the tree to where the apples could fall in the baskets. And every time one of those apples hits the rim and goes, you have one of two options. You can either go, no, let's leave that one. Or you can go, now we're scooping that. I need you to grab that one. What God is telling them is, I need you to be intentional in when it falls, not taking everything. And and the beauty of the scripture is, just like when I do coaching with people, he says to start with your why. The why is be holy, be different, be separate. Don't be like everybody else. I can tell you that those Uh, Canaanites, when you move, they're taking everything. You, though, won't work the same way. You're not going to just try to make as much money as you possibly can. That was just a contextualization of that. But you're not going to just try to do as much as you can. No, I want you to intentionally leave some of these things wide open. That means you're not going to just stay in this position because they pay you really, really well, even though you're not really valuable to the organization anymore. What you're going to do is is leave something, and notice what he says, do not strip it, leave them for the poor and for the immigrant, the resident alien, the stranger. And then he qualifies as he continues to qualify, I'm the Lord. Let me give you a a, a way that he's, the reason he keeps saying that is, if you think to yourself, why why would wouldn't? because I'm the Lord and I want you to be different. But why wouldn't I? Because I'm the Lord and I want you to be different. But Chick-fil-A, why wouldn't you be open this afternoon? Because I'm the Lord and I want you to be different. You and I have both encountered that, right? You starving like a mug. You pass by Chick-fil-A. The crack in that sauce starts to, you taste it in your mouth. And then you're like, I'm 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 going in there. And then you recognize there are no cars. On a Sunday afternoon, when you can make a whole lot of money after church, Golden Corral is gonna make more than you, or whatever you might go eat. I can hear some Christians saying, Man, Sunday ain't the Sabbath anyway! What is this closed? The Sabbath was Saturday. Because I want you to be different. I'm the Lord. Um, so not only must there be intentional leadership in redemptive business where you are intentionally Listen, not doing some things. I know we all have a to-do list. God is saying to his people, I'm going to create you a stop doing or a not do list. As Christians, we often think the way to live for the glory of God and for the good of the people is to sacrifice our lives, right? And it's not that that's not the case, but often the way that we, we define sacrifice instead of God defining sacrifice. So let me give you an example. When COVID first hit and churches were closing, by the way, it was, uh, the church was never supposed to be about the building, but the building was always supposed to be about the church. Double entendre, just follow it. The church was never supposed to be about where we're sitting in a building, but the building of people was always supposed to be what the church did. When COVID first hit, I heard all of these pastors going, the church is the people, the church is the people. You know, you don't have to be in the building. As soon as that building opened, boy, love your church. (laughs) need you come back in here because, like, you know, God's sovereign, but we need these lights on pretty much. So we need you in here, right? When it first happened, one of the things that I noticed was um, because we're talking about intentional leadership and stewardship, one of the things that I noticed is the way that people began to think about church became more biblical. But the further and further we got away from that, the easier and easier it became to settle back into what we're used to. So remember, I said there's a, God is giving us an intentional leadership, a stop doing list. A, hey, I don't want you to do that list. A, you can back up from that list. And many of us, like I said before, think it's about sacrificing ourselves. So I had this conversation. Uh, One of the things that I do is every two weeks with our leaders uh, that come to our camp, I do this two-week, like, coaching session slash catch up with them. And we were talking, and uh, I have a wonderful sister-in-law. My brother's a pastor in D.C. I have a wonderful sister-in-law who, um, by God's grace, she's alive with one lung. So, of course, when COVID hit, the thought is, hey, you keep your behind at home. I don't care what's happening. You keep your behind at home, right? But she decided, hey, Um, as things begin to release, she said, I'm going to go into the worship service. Hey, I'm still going to Walmart. So yeah, I'm going to go into the worship service and I'm going to worship God. And I'm like, hey, that's noble. Keep your behind at home. One of the things she said on one of our calls was so dope. She said that the Lord had laid on her heart to start a Bible study with women. And she was hesitant to do so. I said, isn't it interesting? With one lung, you're willing to go back into the church where you could get COVID and die, but you can sacrifice in that way. But then God says, lead a Bible study, and you don't want to sacrifice in that way. Do you see the inconsistency? Maybe what happened is you used to go in the church. That's the easy part. It's easy to worship God in that way. It's easy to sacrifice in that way. You know, it's easy to hit the Esther, if I perish, I perish. What about the Bible study? You want to go perish in the Bible study and sacrifice yourself that way? No, Right? How many times have we done that work? we can do whatever God calls us to do until it's uncomfortable? Lord, I'll do anything for you. We sing, that, like, for your glory, I'll do anything. Will you go to the gym and work out and keep your body healthy? No. Will you actually eat food that is sustaining your body and making it healthy because you' stewardship in every area? Just going to keep going. Just going to keep going. Not only must there be intentional leadership if we are doing redemptive business, there must be integrity in leadership if we're going to do redemptive business. Um, I was being introduced by my good friend, Pastor Edwin Jones. Shout out to the Bridge Church who is doing their home uh, service this morning in, in Hampton, Virginia. But I was being introduced by him once as I was speaking to college students, and he said these words, and I'll never forget them. He said, yo, Pope is a, is a Christian who loves Jesus. He's a dad and all this stuff, but he's also a really good dude. Those of you who are laughing, I know why you're laughing. You're laughing for the same reason the whole audience laughed. Because Edwin didn't qualify and he said, you know how you know people who are Christians, they preach and all of that, but, like, they terrible people. It's like, Pope ain't wanted. It. Like, le- he legit is a good dude. Like, beyond him being up front, like, he's a good dude. And there are some of us that know what that means. Because when it comes to us, y'all, y'all know how some of these people are, right, like, when it comes to this morning, they seem like the nicest people in the world, but then they are cutthroat when it comes to business, as if they don't care about people. Or, or they get on a basketball court or on a football field, and all of a sudden you just wonder where their Christianity went. Or they start playing bidwist or spades, and you just go, you, you saved, right? Like, you know Jesus, right? There must be integrity in leadership. Verse 11, do not renege. I mean, um, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> My bad, my bad. Uh, do not steal. Now I got to tell this story. I got to tell this story. With our leaders at camp, one summer, they decide they're going to do a spades tournament. And as they do this spades tournament, I already knew this is not going to be good. I don't care how safe they are. This is not going to be good. And so they're doing this spades tournament. And I have a really good friend who's a pastor uh, in D.C. Uh, he will remain nameless for the sake of this, this, this example. But he's playing. And, y'all, he's, I'm watching them play. And I love playing cards. I'm watching them play, and this cat is reneging left and right and busting everybody's head open, right? So if you know spades and you know the rules, you got to catch what book they reneged in. Nobody could catch his book. I call him every time. Finally, this lady gets really upset, and she's super frustrated, and she goes, I can't believe you're a Christian, and you reneging like that. And he said, it's a part of the game. He said, I have done nothing wrong. If you catch me. We, remember, we're talking about integrity leadership. He said, If you catch me, I'm happy to give you my three books. You just got to catch me. Naturally, like any time, all of these Christian leaders then look at me because somehow they think I got some access to God that not everybody does because I'm leading the camp, which is a lie from the pit of hell, just so you know. Timotheus, do you think what he's doing is right? I said, Well, to be honest with you, unfortunately, he is right, technically. Like, that's, that's within the rules. If you don't catch him, that's your fault. I said, however, I need you to know something. As a Christian, I, I wouldn't do that. I said, and the reason I wouldn't do that is what you all are experiencing. That's not the way I want to be treated, even though I know the game. I said, I just think I'm a good enough space player to not have to do that, and I can still beat you. My friend hears that. My friend walks away from the table. He and I go have a conversation. And I said, hey, man, I don't think what you did was sin. I just don't believe it was right. I don't believe it was just. I don't believe it was treating people the way you want to be treated. Oh, You know what? I guess that would be a sin then. <laughs> he wrote a letter to all of those people and said, I'm really sorry. Must be integrity and leadership. Notice, do not steal do not act deceptively or lie to one another. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaming the name of the Lord. I am the Lord. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob him. Y'all know how sometimes we see that, and our immediate thought is, you got a gun and a mask. You already had the mask. and Anyway, I think the text means more than this. Naturally, some of you might be thinking, I would never do that to my neighbor. I mean, I like them. So this text means near dweller. Like, that does not just the people who live next to you, it's the people who are doing life with you. So, that's coworkers, that's bosses. Do not act deceptively toward them, which means when you aren't sick, you really can't call in sick. Do not oppress your neighbor or rob them, I think is more than. Uh, keeping things from your neighbor. Oh, you know who else is a neighbor? A spouse. And so sometimes we defraud spouses. Um, the Bible says this: First Corinthians chapter seven, verses one through five. Sometimes we def- we deprive one another. You don't know what he said to me. You don't know what she did to me. Well, the text says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." So unless what you're communicating, I do this with my kids. I'll say to my kids, "Hey, is that the way you want to be treated?" Their response: "So they treat me like that anyway." That's not what I asked you. I ask you: Is that the way you want to be treated? So if so, so if so, if somebody calls you a dumbhead, or you call somebody a dumbhead, which I don't even know what that means, is that the way you want to be treated? Do you want to be called a dumbhead? If you don't want to be called a dumbhead, then you shouldn't call people a dumbhead. So when it comes to your finances, when it comes to the bedroom as a as a couple. If you're saying, the way I want to be treated is I desire to be intimate with my spouse, I'm going there. I desire to be intimate with my spouse and I want to be rejected. If you want that for you, then you do that for your spouse. But that's not what this text means. This text means to continue to give of yourself redemptively. Man, what if Jesus treated us like we treat each other? You don't know what he said to me. What if Jesus was like, I know exactly what you said. And we ain't talking for the next eternity, right? (laughs) That would be awful if he treated us the way. But the the reason that I'm saying that is this text says don't do that. So if you're the type of spouse that in financial conversation, I'm just just saying what I believe the Lord wants me. You're the type of spouse that goes, I'm not telling, and not in a surprise for like Christmas or birthday kind of way, but in a I'm not telling my spouse that I'm spending this because I want it and I know they're going to be mad. Thing. If, if that's what you're doing, I think that fits here too. Now, again, be a Berean, go home, you pray, and ask the Lord if that's true. Somebody just thought, I ain't praying to ask him if that's true. I'm just going to keep doing that. Well, if that's where you are, you're just not engaged in redemptive business. So don't be shocked when the seeds of deception that you're sowing sprout and continue to grow in your own life because they won't just grow in the places that you planted them. Let me say that again. You are planting seeds of deception and oppression that you think might grow in that space. I don't know how many of y'all have ever done a garden or you've ever seen this happen, but you can plant over here, and then all of a sudden, you see stuff growing over there, and you just go, what happened? Yeah, so so not only pollination, but y'all know animals come through there, and they grab some stuff, and they move it other places. Bible says you do reap what you sow. My daddy always used to say the farmer's law is that you reap what you sow, you reap more than what you sow, and you always reap later than what you sow. And there are many of us who have sown these seeds of deception that we're beginning to reap and we call everybody else selfish. If you don't like to harvest, you better change that seed. He gives them the why. Be holy because I'm holy. He says, if you want justice for everybody, engage in redemptive business. What that looks like is intentional leadership, have an integrity in leadership. Notice the end of verse 14. Notice, he even, this blessed me, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. He even has a qualification with people with disabilities. Those of you who know our story know that we have a son with disabilities. When I walked into this church and I saw that ramp, it blessed my soul because it communicates. We want people in the pulpit, in the choir, wherever up here that can engage in redemptive business. That right there in and of itself is a restorative work. I listened to this message by a guy named Professor Eric Carter that uh, was called Incomplete Without You. It was a a message on receiving people in the church with disabilities because they are the most unchurched in the world. People don't even know what to do. The most convicting part of the message is he put up pictures of churches from all over the world. And he said, what does uh, the structure or the architecture of our buildings communicate about our theology? And the reason was because he showed pictures of these churches that were in the sides of mountains, That when you, the step, like they had like 13 steps that you had to get up to get into the church, no ramp. There are churches that when you walk inside, they have an upstairs and a downstairs, no elevator in the church, no ramps. Uh, You can't get in from both ground levels. There's no way for people in wheelchairs or people with, uh, with disabilities to get in. We call them people with special needs. Everybody has special needs. There are people who have some type of physical disability or deformity. And so this text even qualifies for that. Don't curse those people. You might be going, who would do that? McGee, give you an example. You need to build a building. That building has a certain cost. All of a sudden they say, hey, you need a ramp in this spot. And this will cost you an extra $10,000. I can imagine somebody saying, those people. Hey, you need to make qualification for people who are blind. Oh, man, they're going to cost us. So I know when we read this, sometimes we think that only happened a long time ago. I'm just telling you, this happens in corporate boardrooms all the time. As people are trying to figure out how they can get out of doing code to take care of people with disabilities. I'm going to be honest with you. Our last building that we built, we did it. Even though we made sure people could come in from the ground floor on both, we knew if we had to put an elevator in, that's an extra $15,000 or so, and then you got to throw in every single year. you got to get the thing inspected. We have another elevator another building on our property. I'm now convicted as a mug, and I have a son with disabilities. You would think I would have been the first person jumping at it. i got a son with diabetes. i got a son with disabilities. You'd, be the, you'd think I would be the first person jumping at it. I'm a Christian. My whole job is to be a Christian. And guess what happened? To be holy because I'm holy was not in that planning process. To be different was not in that planning process. That's why I'm now so committed to redemptive business. You know, sometimes the sin that you've committed the most is the sin that you are most angry against. And in the nonprofit that I'm in, I have not worked redemptively. I've done my best to stretch a dollar as far as I can get it and call it maximization of a dollar. Some of that, as I confessed to my team over Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at our staff retreat, was because I wasn't the main leader, and I knew I had to convince the leaders that were ahead of me, my superiors, what needed to happen, and I knew the easiest way to do that was to think in more of a business mindset than a redemptive mindset. Praise God, November 17, 2020, uh, the board voted that we will have autonomy as a ministry, so I get to make all of the decisions, and as I said to my staff on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this past week, it's our turn. We can talk about whoever we want to and say they're not living redemptively. It's our turn. So when it comes to fair wages and what we pay people, when it comes to compensation package, all of that, redemptive, there must be integrity and leadership. Moves me to my third point, there must be impartial leadership. If you're going to engage in restorative work for the glory of God and for the good of his people, which should be your everyday life, and it's evidenced by activity that points to Jesus, you have to be impartial. Notice what he says, verse 15, do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor. Give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. Y'all know how we immediately start thinking about examples, and we put them all in church context. Let me just give you an example. Let's say your favorite team is playing another team. And there's clearly a pass interference call that you know in your heart of hearts, if that was your team, you would want that call to be called. But because it's not your team that the call is on and it could cost you the game, y'all know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, that ain't pass interference. No, it is. <laughs> I'm speaking in the football context because we in football season, right? But if it ends up being basketball season, same thing. If, if your team has a player that, that has really, really long arms and that player goes and catches a ball at the top of the glass but the, it already touched the glass, right, and you want it to be a game-winning save because it's your team but you know in your heart of hearts that that's goaltending but you yelling at the screen, that ain't goaltending. Man, come on, man. That ball hadn't touched the glass. And you know that you're acting deceptively and not judging justly because it's your team. Y'all think I'm joking, but let me just tell you, when that happens there, I just hope you understand, that seed planted there shows up in other places in your life. So now your business is acting unjustly, but you're defending your business. Not because they're not acting unjustly. You know that they are. But that affects your livelihood. And now all of a sudden, the self-preservation side of you goes, yeah, I'm either going to say nothing or... So the profit in you must be impartial to speak to power. Otherwise, we will continue to treat people a way that we don't want to be treated. And that's where we are as a country. Notice, he says, don't be partial to the poor, no give preference to the rich. I'm just going to be honest with you, in my own personal life, I have a lot of relationships with people who are very wealthy. And sometimes the decisions that I see them make and the things that I hear them say make me want to punch them right in the sternum so their shoulders clap. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like both shoulders clap. Just being honest. But if I'm not careful because I grew up poor and the triggers and traumas that I have from being poor, the hurts habits and hangups I have from being poor and wearing Avia shoes that were given to us as kids... I can have an affinity toward the poor and a disdain for the wealthy. Even though I know these people really well. And then I end up sounding like those people, I'm just going to go there, that we call racist. I sound like those people, oh, these wealthy people are fine. No, them wealthy people over there, they're a bunch of snobs. But these people are fine. Why? Because they're my friends. That's not the way it should be according to this text. The way it should be is completely impartial. So, when one of my friends makes a partial decision in their business, or when our company is doing something impartial, I should be the first one to speak up. Not because I should be the first one to speak up, but because if we're going to be holy, some of y'all going, Well, you work in a Christian business. I can't do that. Yes, you can, because God is working redemptively in everything. Listen, Kung Fu Panda. Is not a Christian movie, it's certainly redemptive. The Matrix is not a Christian trilogy. Not let make a fourth But it's not a Christian trilogy, but it's certainly redemptive. Lion King is not a Christian movie, it's certainly redemptive. And there are some of you who are thinking, I don't work in a Christian business, so what? Be redemptive. How did Martin Luther King Jr. say it? Unearned suffering is redemptive. He wasn't saying everybody on the civil rights movement who's doing the boycotts is a believer. What he was saying is, you are standing up for something just and you're getting beat while you're standing up for something just. Hey, that reminds me of another person who stood up against injustice and got beat while he was being just and he was hung up and he was murdered for your sin and for my sin. And when you do that, you have activity that points us to Jesus. It's redemptive when you see what's happening in your business and you know that it's wrong and you stand up against it and you are unjustly fired or unjustly reprimanded, that reminds me of one who stood up on my behalf and was unjustly tried and unjustly crucified in a broken Roman judicial system that couldn't care less about him as a brown Jew. Yet he did that for me. and He did that for you. And he did it impartially, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, boy, child, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural. That's what his church is supposed to be, completely impartial. Revelation 5-9, Revelation 7-9. What God is all about is atonement. At one is what he meant. That we come together as one people, that we be one family. You can't do that partially. You have to do it impartially. Notice, do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. I said the way we drive. There's sometimes where we make decisions that are really poor decisions. Sometimes when we think about jeopardizing life, we think about it in terms of we are doing something to jeopardize life. Instead of, you remember I said a not doing this. sometimes we're not stopping people from doing things that we know jeopardize their lives. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Doesn't this sound a lot like Matthew 5 and Jesus? People act like all of that stuff is New Testament and the Old Testament is just a bunch of, no, no, no. Like Jesus was quoting the Old Testament law because he knew it's the law of love. How do you love one another? Well, first and foremost, be holy. Secondly, have intentional leadership. Thirdly, have integrity and leadership. Fourthly, have impartial leadership. And if you ever need to understand how to qualify, oh, let me do this. Rebuke your neighbor directly and you will not incur guilt because of him. So even in this, God is commanding us to be in one another's faces out of love. Love always w- moves toward the problem, not away from it. Mm, some, some, some what would be called Enneagram 9s just said, you ain't preaching to me no more. No, love always moves toward the conflict. Doesn't he? Notice I said he, not it. Doesn't he always move toward the conflict? Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community. Whoa! Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community. So if you're that person that when you hear about a shooting in your community, you start talking about those people and how much you don't like those people, you're asking why those people are what they are instead of praying for those people, trying to find those people, trying to love those people, trying to make sure those people interact with a gospel that has skin and sin and brokenness. This is it's right here. So if anybody walk out saying, man, to, Pope, Pope said all the, no, no, I'm just reading the text and telling you what it means. If you ever need to qualify, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? As you can imagine, uh, my wife is white. Y'all met my wife. And so um, growing up in the South, my dad has been involved in the work of redemptive ethnic unity for years. I got involved in the work of redemptive ethnic unity what a lot of people call racial reconciliation. But as we talk about redemptive ethnic unity, one of the things that happens is I have friends that are conservative right. I mean, so conservative right that they left. Uh, And I have... (laughs) left behind and then some some friends uh, so conservative left that they almost sound right cuz they sound sometimes like this in fact quickly um and I'm a, am I'm a, yeah so quickly i right after george floyd was murdered a friend of mine got me into this conference to do a panel as he heard me rehearse the history of america <clears throat> from an American <clears throat> excuse me, from an American perspective, I was a religion major. We just study how religion has had an effect on history. So I'm talking about how the church is complicit and implicit in promoting racism in America from 1607 to today. So he says, I want all my friends to hear that. I'm getting you into this conference. I'm at this conference. Could not believe it is everything is COVID, it's virtual. Jeb Bush is at this conference. I'm also speaking at this conference, and I'm like, what portal did I go through Well, I'm speaking at the same conference as a guy like Jeb Bush? Myself and another man named Chris Dancy, you can look Chris Dancy up online. Chris Dancy is known as the most connected man on the planet. He's been on Fox News. He's been on CNN. He, uh, if I remember correctly, is the person who uh, created, he has the patent for the Apple Watch. Chris Dancy was on this panel with me. And I'm thinking, what, who, how did I get here? Here. So I do what I'm doing now, and I communicate what redemptive business looks like. At that time, I wasn't using that word, wasn't using that concept, but I was, I I wasn't using that word, but I was using that concept. I finished sharing. I got to go first. So glad I got to go first. Chris Dancy shares. Chris Dancy talks about loving neighbor as self. Chris Dancy talks about what it would look like if Christ was walking on earth. I'm thinking, man, I didn't know who he was before this, but he must, he must be a believer. And then I go look up Chris Dancy and go look up Chris Dancy's life. And all I'm going to say is, I walked away from that computer going, how in the world did he sound more like a Christian than than some of these other people I'm interacting with who call themselves believers? One of the things that I shared in that, um, which is why Chris picked up on it and shared it too, was, Anytime you need to qualify, I was talking specifically about George Floyd at that time because it was right after that happened, this was in June. Anytime you need to qualify what was right or what was wrong, before you look at all of the details of a situation, let me ask you a question. Would you want your family treated like George Floyd was treated? And if the answer is no, then that was wrong. It's real simple. It ain't hard. The next thing that I did, which messed some people up, as I said, and then however you would want Derek Chauvin to be treated if he were your family member, that's how you should want him to be treated. What do you mean? He, but what he did, this text says, love your neighbor as yourself. I know it's challenging. I want justice too. But I want God's justice. And if that, and if that looks like Derek Chauvin coming to faith, I want that. That looks like both of them, Gene's killer coming to faith because of what his brother did in that courtroom. I want that. As I, after I finished speaking to that football team, they scored more points Friday than they've scored all season. On the sideline, I said to them, adversity is what helps us become who we're supposed to be. And you think God always wants you to win. If you always win, you'll never become who he wants you to be. So the victory, because there are two school boards, right? The victory I saw happen on Friday is some of those young men continuing to believe not about winning the football game, but that their worth is not in whether or not they win or lose, which was my goal. Why am I saying that? Because we act like that's just for people who play football, who are in high school or basketball or stuff like that. No, some of us find identity in our job. We find identity in our tech. We find identity in what we can do for others. But that's not what this text is saying. This text is saying be holy. Hey, the Canaanites do that. You saw the Egyptians, they do that. You're supposed to be different. What does it look like to be different? Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, yeah, but what does that practically mean? Oh, okay, if you're going to be that person, let me help you. Do you go to Starbucks every day to get your favorite drink? If you do that for you, do that for somebody else. If you work as hard as you can to take care of your own family, do that for somebody else. If you're mad when somebody misses whatever you thought was important to you, then when some is important to somebody else, you better be there. <clears throat> you better be there, right? Any qualification, just ask, what do I want? Juneteenth this year, I'm in a thing called a Forum of Hope with several men who are wealthy business owners, many of them uh, who are majority culture. And they and so seven guys of majority culture, six guys of minority culture. I'm one of those six guys. I don't know how I got in that I know how I got in that room, but I'm like, Lord, you're you're yeah, this is funny. This is the last story I tell, I think. Juneteenth comes around. These business owners hit up all of us guys of color. Hey, what should we do for this? All through email. It's like a day later. Nobody had responded. So I get the prophetic nudge in the back because I knew I was supposed to respond. You ever been there where you know you're supposed to say something, but you don't because you don't know how it's going to turn out? Just remember, sometimes people are waiting on you to stand up and have the intentional leadership with the integrity impartially that they need to see. Listen, some will listen, some won't. So what? Somewhere, somebody's waiting on you. So I email all of the guys and I say, hey, as a black man in America, the fact that you're asking how to celebrate Juneteenth means a whole lot to me. But nobody's ever asked, so I don't know what to do either. That's the first half of the email, one small line, two returns. Next thing it says is, you know, you probably celebrate Independence Day the 4th of July already. What do you do for you? What do you do for your family? Does your business have that day off? Whatever you would do for you, however you would celebrate Independence Day, How about we take all of that and we do that for Juneteenth? Because then we're doing for our neighbor what we would want done for us. Remember, some will listen, some won't. So what? Somewhere, somebody's waiting on you to speak. All of this flood of emails comes in. Man, what a great idea. Some of these dudes aren't believers. What a great idea. It was just a redemptive one. Straight from Leviticus 19. I just told them, just treat other people the way you want to be treated. And these men who are not believers, some of them are going, yeah, that's the way to do this. If you're in this room right now and you're going, I want to do this. But man, that sounds really difficult. It's impossible. That's why he gave the law. So that we would see we can't keep it. We can't do this in and of ourselves. For real? Like treat other people the way I want to be treated? If that's what I'm supposed to do, that means even when I step off of this platform, can I just be vulnerable with y'all? Can I do that? I'm an introvert. So even when I step off this platform, I don't necessarily want to have 50 conversations. I would rather just go to sleep somewhere. But if somebody who had spoken to me and touched my life step off of a platform, would I want that for that person? And if I would just want to put my hand in that person's hand and say thank you for being used by God, then certainly when I step off this platform, I should do the same, right? I thought it was the last story. I got two more to tell, but they're one. Michael Jordan Kobe Bryant are two people that have engaged in a redemptive work in a way that a lot of people don't even understand it was redemptive. But those of us who know Jesus know that this was redemptive. Michael and Kobe both said they wanted to play every single game, and Michael did for many seasons, never missed a game. But his reasoning was, I want that kid who had never seen me play to see me play and know what I can do. You say, how is that redemptive? Like, what does that have to do with redemption? He put himself in that little kid's shoes and basically said, if I was a little kid, would I want to see Michael Jordan? Yes, I would. Guess what? Then I'm going to get out on the floor. I'm not saying Michael's a believer by any stretch of the imagination. What I'm saying is he even had the little redemptive thought. And there are some of you, this is why I'm telling the story, who think, I can't do this at work. Listen. God, according to Romans 1 and according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, has already set eternity in our hearts and given us expectation for who he actually is, his eternal power and his Godhead, so that we're out excuse. They are waiting for you. The seeds that you've been planting, you may never see them grow a sprout. Who cares? If you would want somebody to continue to plant the seed for you, then it only makes sense that you would continue to plant the seed greatest seed ever be planted was the seed of redemption from our Savior who was treated unjustly, who fulfilled all of this. We call it his meritorious work so that he could perform what we call judicial imputation. What that means is he did everything God told him to do, nothing that God did not tell him to do so that when he goes to the cross, he can go to the cross in my place and say, I'm standing for Timotheus, standing for Pope. So for all of the times that he's broken this, I'm standing for every time. I'm going to take the whooping for him so that he can be free. And he did that for you. My question is, do you then understand why Romans chapter 12, verse one, I urge you, therefore, in light of God's mercy towards you to present your body as the same kind of living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, because this, uh, the Greek word, his logic, costs, what he basically says is because this makes sense. If he gave up everything for you, it only makes sense that you give up everything for him. If he's going to mean anything to you, guess what? He has to mean everything to you. That means supremacy everywhere in the way you dress, in the way you talk, where you go, how you live, what you spend your money on, what you don't spend your money on, everything. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you allow us to walk in your supremacy every single day, that we love you, that we cherish you, that we learn who you are and how you are, that we might be who you've made us to be, and as we are, everywhere we go. We pray in the name of Jesus that you allow us to engage in this restorative work for the glory of God and for the good of his people that is evidenced by activity that points just to you, the one who suffered unjustly for us, in order that we might be saved and have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, keep your head down, your eyes closed real quick, and I'll be out your way. If you're a pastor in this church, if you're a leader in this church, a deacon in this church, an elder in this church, please have your head up. Everybody else, respectfully, please keep your head down. If you're in this room right now, you would say, Timotheus, if I'm going to be honest with you, completely honest, completely vulnerable, I do not know Jesus to be my Savior. If I was to die right now, I would bust hell wide open with gasoline drawers on. I know that that's where I am. I know that I don't trust Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Anybody in here like that, that you know for certain you are lost without God in the world? Cool, second question from me this morning. If you're in here right now, you would say, Pope, I don't know. Particularly after I heard you preach today, man, I don't want to do none of that. <laughs> and so, and so I'm, I'm not really sure if the Lord has arrested my attention and claimed my heart. I would like to say I'm a believer. I mean, I've been in church, man. I've been baptized. I've done a whole bunch of stuff. But if I'm going to be honest, real with you, honey, I don't know. If I died right now, where I would go? I don't know if God would recognize me. If that's you, would you raise your hand if you're in here you would like that? You would honestly say, I'm I'm not quite sure. Dope, that means we all dealing with family. I got two more questions. Number one, if you're in this room right now, you would say, Timotheus, I'm gonna go ahead and be real. Redemptive business is not my life. I'm gonna go ahead and be honest with you. Like hearing you this morning, I mean, on one hand, I'm mad as a hornet. On another, I'm convicted. (laughs) Because yeah, that's not how I do life. If that's you, would you raise your hand if you would be honest and say, yeah, man, I'm a believer, but like, Yo, I'm not engaged that way. Cool, thank you for your honesty. A you of you to raise your hand, thank you for your honesty because God's looking at you. Whether or not I see you or Pastor Cousin sees you or the elders see you or the deacon, who cares? You got to stand before the King of Kings one day. Last question from me this morning. If you're in this room and you would say, Timotheus, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, man, you highlighted a lot of things, my driving, my eating, the way that I play and compete. I mean, if I'm going to be honest with you, I have wanted to honor the Lord in all those things. And I, and I really have tried. But if I'm be honest, I haven't given it 100% because I'm scared. That's the qualifier. Because I'm scared of what happens when I show up at work like that. If I actually show up like I'm supposed to show up at work, man, I'm scared to death of what's going to happen. It's not that I'm like not living redemptively, but I could certainly be living more redemptively and I'm not. And the major reason is I'm scared of what might happen. If that's you would you, or, and you're in here, would you raise your hand and be honest and say, yeah, man, that's me be legit with you. Lord Jesus, I pray for every single person that raised their hand for whatever reason they raised it for, but specifically those who are scared. I pray that you remind us that you want us to act redemptively because it's the greatest way for people to see who Jesus is and remind us that earth is not home. We will leave this place and we will leave nothing here. Help me to love you in all the ways you've called me to love you as a husband, as a dad, as an executive, as a coach, as a leader, as a trainer, I might love you with my whole heart. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.